Welcome in the debut, the the maiden voyage, the first I don't know the first one of the Clubhouse Podcast. Kyle Bailey alongside, well, two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, former Panthers and New Orleans Saints safety. Uh, we got Roman Harper with us, and I, I feel like Rome that I just I, I'm going to do some things similar to the way we do things on the radio, but. This is a podcast, and we get to do whatever the hell we want on a podcast. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I don't know how what I'm supposed to do with my hands right. while I'm in here. Whatever you want. Obviously, it's whatever I want. Because so it's I'm, a podcast. And we can say what we want. We can tell our opinions like we want it. <laughs> and we're not just... So we can I, talk about all we want to talk about. Everything. Right? Everything yes. we want to get into. And so, like, I, I'm in the... If you, if you don't know me, if you don't know Rome, well, you probably know Rome. But if you don't live in Charlotte, North Carolina, or probably Blacksburg, Virginia, or Charleston, South Carolina... Uh, I do. We do radio together, but we also wanted to do a podcast because we wanted to talk about everything. And, you know, we, we're going to talk sports today. We're, we're going to talk about the quarterback free agency situation. Uh, we're going to talk to Malcolm Jenkins, Super Bowl champion with the Philadelphia Eagles, free agent right now, former teammate of Roman Harper's in New Orleans. You know, you and I were kicking around the idea beforehand when we started this podcast. Like, you know, in radio, it's different because, you know, you can't use certain kinds of language. And I I'm probably not going to cuss too much on the podcast because I don't want to get into a bad habit and then just have an F-bomb fly out in the middle of a radio show and get a $300,000 fine. But what's your favorite cuss word? What is it? So I'm kind of, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm nervous to say my favorite cuss word because I know my mom's going to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get it out there, all right? So mine usually is, um, it's usually motherfucker or like motherfuck. Yeah. And then, or, uh, or. The, the famous one is just bitch. It's just like, oh, that bitch. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. But see, they're, they're so And see, and the worst part is my daughter has all of a sudden, my youngest daughter has, like, picked up. She's just been cursing lately. I don't have kids yet, but I am Uncle Kyle. Yeah. And so the niece and nephew have picked up on some things. Yeah, and my I, youngest daughter's like, she and she says it in the right terms, so you're, like, proud of her. But, like, you're like, hey, you can't say that. You can't. Yeah, but she's messed up a couple of times. She's like, oh, shit. But you're proud of them because they pick up on the <laughs> stuff, right? So they're yeah. smart. They're, they're, they're picking up on stuff. Just don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't like, do that. Like like my nephew Paxton. I was walking through the house one day at mom and dad's, stumped my toe. Son of a bitch. He's standing right behind me. I don't have any idea. And as soon as it comes out of my mouth, dad, dad, Uncle Kyle said bitch. <laughs> Come on, dude. That means he knows. That means he knows. You know, it means yeah. he knows. So yours is motherfucker. Mm-hmm. My, I think I, I go with this, the tried and true, just son of a bitch. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pissed off. Yeah. I stubbed my toe. I forgot something. I, I did something wrong. Like, that's just a tried and true, like, son of a bitch. Yeah, that's the one. And see, for me, I feel like if you're you're going sob, um, I feel I feel like you should be able to stop yourself before you get to the B. You got the S and the O. You can you say gun or whatever. You can stop it before the B. Right. Like you know, like I can say shit. I don't feel bad about saying shit because that's on cable. Like that's cable TV worthy now. Like you watch uh, yeah. a show. You should watch a show on FX, right? Yeah. Or Comedy Central. It's okay to say shit on network on, on cable television, just not network television. It's crazy how the world has changed since we were. 12, 13. Yeah, it used to be a lot more pure, didn't it? <laughs> or at least I think that's what it used to be. I'm not sure. The The adults who were around when we were growing up would probably disagree with that. They would, probably would. All right, let's talk a little ball. Quarterbacks, free agency. All I heard for the last, or, or I shouldn't say all, what I've heard a ton of for the past, I don't know, man, two months, is that this quarterback free agency market is going to be insane, right? It's going to be it's going to be robust. It's going to be crazy. It could be a carousel. Who knows what's going to happen? And I guess anything's still possible, but – Drew Brees has already said he's going back to, to New Orleans, yep, right? So one. that's that's one piece of the puzzle that's in. I think most people at this point, it's fun to entertain the idea of Tom Brady playing somebody, somewhere else. And I think Tom would if he has to, but I also don't think Tom Brady wants to play in another uniform before he retires. Do you? 
you know what? I, I think Tom's really enjoying this situation right now. I don't know how highly recruited he was coming out of college, but I know he's going to be highly recruited as a free agent. For the first time his whole career, he's like a natural, like true, true free agent. Yeah. And you got to take advantage of that. So you're going to flirt with other teams, and you're going to, you want to hear people tell you how great you are, right? It's not like Tom doesn't know that already. I was going to say, how much more of that does he need? <laughs> I mean, but he's been so successful. Like, why not just – Take a couple calls, see what happens, right? And the fact that New England's playing it so close to the glove, the vest, and we just don't know what is really, really going to happen. But I feel that Tom Brady is the queen bee here, like, you know, on the, on the chess table, which I'm not good at. But the queen gets to move all places, and she can kill anybody and do all these other things. Like, that's what it's going to be. So when Tom Brady goes down, once he signs somewhere, I think all the other chips will fall where they are. Whether he goes to Oakland, which – Oakland is openly talked about, oh, we'd love to have Tom Brady. And what what better, not even Oakland, Las Vegas. It'd be Las Vegas next year. So could you imagine opening up this new place in Las Vegas with Tom Brady under center? I mean, you're going to have ticket sales. It's going to be great. Him, John Gruden, Al Davis Jr. Uh, it, it's going to be really, really cool. But I just don't see it happening. I think he's going to end up back in New England, and they're going to get it all settled when all the dust clears and everything, I think Tom Brady ends up back in New England. We, we say all those things like the NFL's a business, right? And it's what have you done for me lately? The NFL stands for not for long. So I think generally anybody who, like you, has played in the league or anybody like me who covers the league, we understand that most of the time it's not emotional, right? Things, decisions get made. It's about the bottom line. It's about money and, biz- money and business. But I, I, I think with Tom Brady, this is one of these rare situations where – like Derek Jeter in New York or like Kobe in L.A., right? You almost have an obligation to make sure that guy finishes his career in a Patriots uniform. It's been 20 years. How do you let him – I mean, if he's going to play one or two more years, how do you let him walk away and go play somewhere else if you're Bob Kraft? So so I think, I think it's less about this. Look, I think Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick have had their words and their tiffs about this before, all right? I don't think they want to let go of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. That did not want – look, that was Kraft saying, all right, he's got to go. Right. Right? I'm not going to have this talk. And Nobody's threatening Tommy. That's not, not going to happen here. <laughs> not on my watch. You're not going to threaten Tom. It's not going to happen. So Garoppolo's got to go. All right? So this has happened previous times. Jacoby Brissett's another guy who the team started liking and flirting with. He's got to go. Right? Um, but at some point, Belichick's like, hey, look, Tom's starting to get older. We have to move on. Or at some point, I'm going to have to move on. And I don't think – I just don't see it happening. I feel that Tom Brady's going to end up – Tom Brady wants to end up with the Patriots. But is Bill Belichick, who runs the team in the GM's position, does he want to continue to go down this road? Or is he going to be able to now, I can squeeze him out and don't look like the evil villain that I am or in this position I would be and moving on and making that hard decision because the Patriots have always hung their hat on, all right, they get rid of guys – a year or so before they hit the wall or before it's over. That is what New England's always made their hay on, and they've always been so smart about making that decision where other teams kind of hold on to them, and then you see the downfall, like San Diego with Phillip Rivers in his last year or two. So do you? Do, so that is what you're risking here, all right? And you know everybody has this, this shelf life of football. Tom Brady's been able to hold it, extend it, and be the greatest at who he is and his position because of all that. But – we know the Patriots and we know their way. And they, they, they pride themselves on that, the Patriot way. So you're supposed to take less. You're supposed to do, take less and do more for the team because we're going to win championships and put ourselves in position every year. And Tom Brady's been doing that for 
19, 20 years now. So what does he do from here? And do by, they just squeeze him out? And by the way, I, he's old. He's not the same guy he used to be, but he's still plenty good enough. He had no receivers. He had no, he had no pass-catching targets that anybody had ever really heard of you know, outside of NC State fans and Jacoby Meyer at one point. I mean, look, the, the Antonio Brown thing didn't work out. Josh Gordon thing didn't work out. They were primed for a minute there to have just an unbelievable receiving core. Oh, my gosh. And it went from maybe one of the most talented we've ever seen to uh, just a group of nondescript guys you've never heard of. It, Brady's not the problem here. He's not what he used to be. But if you put adequate talent around him right now, he's still capable of making all the throws necessary to win games. And I think that's what Tom's, you know, he's really negotiating on right now is, hey, are you going to – if I come back, are you guys going to put some pieces around me to give me a chance to be successful? Like, I know how good I can be, but you guys have to give me players around me. I can't maybe lead it like I used to. I can't lead the charge and lead the band, but I can still conduct this thing and get it done and get us to a championship, especially in the AFC. I mean, it's still wide open. I mean, last year we know the Chiefs are going to be there because Patrick Mahomes, they're going to be there, not going anywhere for the next five, six years. All right, but the Patriots, as long as they have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they're always in the they're always in the fight, and also in the AFC East. No, they're not worried about anybody. So you're going you're going to get ten wins a year just knowing that alone. So I, I'm just really looking forward to how this all the things going to shake out. Is it really going to be that much of a shakeup in the NFL? Is it really going to be everything that we talked about, where eight different quarterbacks are going to different teams, and everybody's going to be fighting for Teddy Bridgewater, everybody's going to be fighting for Tom Brady, or is it really just like we're just talking about this, and then we look up and nobody's changed a thing. Well, that's the thing. So, so like, let's operate Tom Brady stays. You know, I think that overwhelmingly the odds are Tom Brady stays. Or he goes to the Raiders. It's possible. It's, although I, I think I think they're throwing Carr out with the bathwater just a little bit too quickly out there. The fans are anyway. I don't know about Gruden. but I, I, Well, that's because they, they – who wouldn't want Tom Brady? Well, of course, right. Who wouldn't want Tom Brady? But, I mean, Tom Brady is a very short-term solution. So, but, but keep that – hold that for a second. So, let's say Tom stays in New England. We know that, that Drew Brees is going back to New Orleans, right. which, I mean, obviously throws a wrench in the Taysom Hill future, you know, franchise quarterback type plans. I mean, stop there. <laughs> I, I respect the hell out of Taysom Hill as a football player. He's fun to watch. I mean, he really it, is. He's a fun we, guy to watch. It, yes. But yes, Roman, he is. He's, he's 30 years old almost. And, and, and just the, the thought that, you know, pro football talk, Mike Florio and others saying that this guy this could be a franchise quarterback here. I've said before, I think he's closer to retirement than he is to being a franchise quarterback right now. He's thrown 13 passes. No disrespect intended to Taysom whatsoever, but this narrative just came up out of left field that Taysom Hill is somebody's future franchise quarterback. Well, when somebody puts value on you, everybody else is interested. So the fact that Sean Payton has come out for the last two or three years, I was on the roster when he was like, this is our future quarterback. Are you serious? Yes. And he, I'm like, who? Like, the guy that's running down on – Special teams right now? And he's like, that's our guy. I'm like, I don't know what Sean sees, but hey, whatever, right? And now you've seen him kind of continue to develop. He's gotten more comfortable in his offense. I think Sean is able to build offenses around any weapon or anybody he has, the whoever he has eyes on because he's that good. And his mind just works constantly about those things. But I, I got to see it. I haven't seen Taysom sit back, drop back 20-some times and complete passes. I know I've seen it in the preseason and – of course, he did okay in last year's preseason. He's continued to improve. But I don't think – I'm just saying I'm letting Drew Brees walk, and this is our future, and I'm hanging our whole franchise on this guy, nor am I paying him like a brand-new quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo got out of, from San Francisco. Like, at least Jimmy proved it in a couple games over a stint of time in New England. And it's just going to be weird to see any other quarterback taking snaps for the New Orleans Saints until it happens. I, I just can't see it. 
And at the end of the day, the Saints have drafted quarterbacks and just none of them have worked. So now you bring in this guy, Taysom Hill, who the fans love. He's exciting to watch. He lines up at tight end. He caught more touchdowns than Greg Olson, I believe, last year. So it's not like he's a useless or a non-talent. He can play. The guy can play. But is he going to be running like that when he's the normal quarterback? No. Is he going to be trying to duck his head, run guys over, bring the energy and stuff when he's a quarterback where you have to be able to, all right, I just took a hard hit. I got to shake the, shake the cobwebs off. Get ready to read. Is this cover three, cover two, cover four? Is this a fire zone? You got to be able to adjust and do all those things in a really short period of time. And when people are actually preparing for you as a full-time starter, is he going to be as effective then? It's just, it's just bizarre to me to see people that, that have real credibility in this business doing things like drawing comparisons between Taysom Hill and, and Lamar Jackson. So they could use him like Lamar Jackson. He's 22 years old. He just won the league MVP. Can we stop? Like I, I was listening. Like I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of guys in my business in the sports talk business that I respect the hell out of. But I was listening to, to Dan Patrick the other day, and he gets into the Panthers and what they're going to do about Cam Newton, which we'll get to in a second. But in his mind, he connected Cam Newton and the possibility of his movement with Taysom Hill. And he goes, well, I mean, what about a guy like Taysom Hill? You know what? I, I think I'd rather have Cam Newton as my quarterback than Taysom Hill. You think? Don't you? I mean, yeah, I think I would too. Like, when did he? When did we insert him into these sort of conversations? Never mind the fact that when Drew Brees went down, they didn't go to Taysom. They went to Teddy Bridgewater. Well, that's because Teddy, man, Teddy's a winner. I right? love Teddy. I love Teddy. How can you not? All he ever done, all he's ever done is win. And you look up, and Taysom Hill's gotten all this love because everybody loves a great story, and he's just different. They got that Sean Payton kiss though too. He did. And look, Sean loves this guy. He's the biggest man crush on Taysom Hill I've ever seen of any player in Sean's regime. So it's been really interesting to watch and how Taysom's really just flown up the boards. And now he's a, a player of interest for so many people in the league because you really don't know much about him. But it's the same way about Lamar Jackson. A year and a half ago, they were worried about Lamar Jackson. Then they came out and proved that he can throw the ball and be very good at it and effective in that type of offense. So you'd have to build an offense around Taysom Hill and all of his abilities and whether it's his shortcomings or his strength or his strengths, you have to build everything around and everything you have going forward has to fit him and everything that makes him the better player. So I think Baltimore did a great job of making sure that we put Lamar Jackson in the position to be really good where I'm using two and three tight ends. I'm doing things differently. I'm running the ball. I'm, I'm making sure we're staying ahead of the chains, not putting him in position to be third and 15. And hey, you got to go out there and throw it and get it for us. I think all those things have to work hand in hand. You can't just put him on a bad team and think Taysom Hill's the answer. That That's definitely failure waiting to happen. You, so speaking of Teddy, you had an interesting theory before we started talking about this. You, you, you were thinking Teddy might make a lot of sense in L.A. with the Chargers. There's no doubt about it. Anthony Lynn, I, I think he could use t uh, Teddy right now. I think Anthony Lynn has built a pretty good program. they got a lot of good, young, pl talented players around them with a good mix of veteran guys. They are primed and ready to win. I mean, Melvin Gordon will be back again. I mean, I know he tried the holdout thing, and that just didn't work. I mean, it really sucks for football players when you hold out, and then you just have to come back, and you still don't get your money. That's it the wrong <laughs> position to hold out, man, in this day and age. Like, you got to be a Le'Veon Bell type dude to get that to work. Plus, it didn't help that when he started holding out, the guys behind him were, uh, were, yeah, yeah. were getting the job done. Yeah, I'm not saying were. they're, they're they not were. as good as Melvin Gordon, but they, they were uh, adequate enough replacements that all of a sudden that holdout didn't look all, all that scary to the Chargers anymore. It also didn't help when, you know, Phillip Rivers, as your starting quarterback, was like, hey, we can do it without him. We really don't need him. We're good. <laughs> well, I mean, that's according to Steve Smith. That's, that's uh, check down Charlie, right? That is check down Charlie now. According to Steve Smith, now I'll put him out there. That's but. what he told us, by the way. And shameless plug, he told us that on Tuesday. If you're, if, if you're in the Charlotte area or if you want to listen on the radio.com app, Roman and I 
do this on the radio Tuesdays in Charlotte on WFNZ, 1025, 610, and, of course, the radio.com app. But how can Teddy not make L.A. better? I mean, look, Teddy's going to can take care of the football. All right, they, San Diego Chargers, they play decent enough defense. They got some explosive players. Keenan Allen's another just came off another Pro Bowl year. They have players around him. Hunter Henry is going to be a really, really great tight end in this league. I saw him as a rookie. I thought he was fantastic. He's had some injuries, but he's bounced back. I think they got some really solid weapons. They just have to stop turning the ball over and be good in the fourth quarter. I think Teddy Bridgewater has a calming effect. I think his players around him love him, believe in him. It's something about commanding that huddle and hearing a different voice, all right? Phillip Rivers has been a voice in that huddle for so long, that organization. He'll be a great – he'll be an all-time great for the, San Di- for the San Diego and L.A. Chargers. But bringing some fresh new blood in, it's a different personality, a different feel. Teddy has a different way of, you know, just hanging around the guys and just brings a different thing to a locker room. I think, Teddy, you implement him to the Chargers, they're going to be competing for that AFC West immediately. So we're talking free agents, and we've gotten through a lot of them already. We talked about Phillip Rivers. The, the general consensus seems to be that Phillip Rivers is probably going to end up in Indianapolis with the Colts. I agree with that. Or I think he could go to the Miami Dolphins for a short stint, and they'll draft a quarterback this year, somebody like Tua, whatever they got to do, make that happen. And now you you feel comfortable with riding out with Phillip Rivers for their next year. So, look, and I'm putting these two teams down because they have the most cap space. So it's going to take a team with a lot of cap space that can come in here, sign Phillip Rivers to where you're making Phillip, okay, you're good, you're like your numbers, all right, and we got to spend the money anyways. So let's go out here, let's get us a quarterback, solidify some things, at least give us a chance to say, hey, fans, we're competing, we're trying to win, and also we got a plan as well. We got some draft capital, we got some first-round picks. We're going to try and really get – we're going to really try and improve this team in a really short stint so we can start putting some some butts in the seats. Speaking of free agents, we're going to get to one in just a couple of minutes. Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champ, is going to join us. But before we get there, I, I want to bring in a conversation really quickly that you and I have every single week, Cam Newton. And that's, that's particularly uh, relevant today. He's not a free agent. Well, that's what I'm saying, though, because he's <laughs> talked about like he's a free agent. Like, all, like, this, like Cam's – like, the fact that – I'm not well, – I, I joke, but, like, the NFL Network last week on a graphic – I know it was a mistake, but on a graphic, they had a list of the top three quarterback free agents this offseason. They listed Cam Newton as one of them because people aren't – they're not paying attention. He's got a year left on his contract. And, by the way, you've seen this. Cam Newton last night on Instagram – posts uh, a, a series of photos and videos of himself in, in what looks like a pretty intense workout with trainers, and the caption to those videos and pictures was, sometimes you just have to play the role of a fool to fool the fool who thinks they're fooling you. Now, Cam speaks in metaphors, and he can be a little bit difficult to and interpret And it's really sometimes. hard to read his tweets and Instagram, people, I'm telling you. It he's, is. He's got all kinds of characters. I don't know how he even does that. but the, he, he is one of the most enigmatic, uh, charismatic polarizing, interesting people in the history of sports. I told you, being in Charlotte every day, you and I talked about this two months ago. I love covering Cam Newton. He's so interesting. He's polarizing. He gets people talking. Like, like, I told you, if I had to cover Kirk Cousins versus Cam Newton, it'd be an easy decision who I had to choose to cover here. But I, this whole conversation, you got people saying, well, Cam, he's washed up. He hasn't been right since 2015. Never mind the fact that he made the playoffs in 2017 and looked fantastic against the Saints in New Orleans. <laughs> the, the facts don't matter. You know, he hasn't looked the same since 2015. No he's washed up. He'll never look the same again. He's old. He's finished. He's 30 years old. You know, so you got these people saying that, oh, he might be the missing piece for the Chargers or the Raiders or the Bears. These teams need a quarterback. Well, the Panthers need a quarterback, too. What are they going to do? They got one. They got one, and the whole world says the trade is inevitable and that it's coming. It might. You and I both acknowledge that that could happen, but you're you're doubtful that it will. I, I'm highly, highly doubtful because at the end of the day, I, I look at this Panthers organization. They got a lot of moving parts, a lot of new parts 
on this whole thing. And I, I think they want to put their best foot forward. I don't see how you can have a brand-new coach and you want to come in and we're just going to try and do our best to lose. Cam Newton gives this team, this organization, the best chance to win. And why would you not try and win the games? I know you're going you're gonna to bring in guys and you're going to draft guys, but that doesn't slow down. That's, that's year in, year out. That's just part of the business. And turnover is part of this business, right? 60 guys are out of the locker room every year, right? 60% of the guys. And Cam Newton gives this team that they, they – we saw what they, the other options were on this roster last year. It didn't look really good at all. And everybody harps on how great Christian McCaffrey is. He is really, really, really good. But that got you five wins and a lot of beatdowns last year. And it wasn't exciting. Not only that, but you didn't have anybody showing up to the game either. So as great as he is, nobody shows up. Cam Newton, people show up. People are excited about it. People, He's giving away footballs every touchdown. And not only that, but he makes other guys do it as well. So that gets everybody involved. Everybody feels like they're part of something great. And that right there is what attracts other free agents and what Gerald McCoy signed here because he had a chance to win a championship. Not because Cam Newton wasn't on the roster and – you know, they were going to have a chance to go three or four wins like he had in Tampa Bay. Nobody is excited about that. Carolina is not like a destination of, like, awesomeness. I mean, it's a great city. Right. But if an NFL guy's like, they don't care about that. It's changed a lot. It's more of a destination than it's ever been. Correct. And I think that the, the things that David Tepper, the new owner's doing with facilities and all the money he has to spend, that's going to be more and more attractive to free agents potentially. But to your point – it's, it's not New York, it's not L.A., it's not Chicago, it's not Dallas. In that sense, again, it's changing, but it's not like those markets. Now, you, you and I can pick this up, and we talk about this sort of thing all the time, so people that listen to us can continue to do so as we talk about the Cam Newton stuff. But I want to talk to our next guest as we welcome in two-time Super Bowl champ, former teammate of Roman Harper's in New Orleans, and, of course, he also won a Super Bowl most recently with the Philadelphia this Eagles. My dog right He's here. a free agent, and uh, that's a big question and talking point up in Philadelphia. we got to bring in the great Malcolm Jenkins. And we welcome into the Clubhouse podcast two-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler, and uh, a graduate of the Ohio State University. So uh, love. we got to bring in former teammate of Roman Harper's, one of the most respected men in the NFL Malcolm Jenkins with us here on the Clubhouse Podcast. Malcolm, we appreciate you, buddy. How are things? Uh, things are great, man. How you guys doing? We're good. Roman and I have been talking about doing this for like a year, and we finally got in the studio and did it. So uh, we're making progress. Yeah, man, appreciate you coming on, Malcolm. Uh, it's great to hear your your voice and everything you mean to the NFL and me and my, my life personally. So appreciate you coming on with us. No doubt, no problem. Hey, Malcolm, so you, you've just finished year 11, right, going into year 12 of your career. Is my math right on that? Yep, you're right. Eleven just finished. Eleven. Yeah, time flies, man. It, it's unbelievable. I, I I remember you coming into the league, and you know all the excitement and and everybody talking about what a great player you were going to be, and it turned out to be true. And you got a couple of Super Bowl rings to show for it, but you are a free agent right now. And and I'm you know reading the news up in Philly right now, sports talk radio, the newspapers, they're all talking about Malcolm Jenkins got to be a priority for the Eagles this off season. What are they going to do? What, what what's your plans? I mean, I, I would expect you want to be back in Philly, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's the goal. I want to be back, you know, um, in Philadelphia. I've made this, you know, my home. I've won a Super Bowl here um, and, and, and just really have laid a lot of roots, not, you know, outside of the field into to this community. Um, but also, you know, I've, I've been through these situations before, um, and sometimes they don't always work out, you know, the way that you want to. So for me, it's just, you know, I'll sit back and, and wait and, and see, uh, you know, what, what happens as we get closer to free agency. Um, if we can get something done with with Philly, or you know, or see where that where that takes me, but you know, hopefully it works out um, fairly soon. 
Yes. Now, Mal, I know you, you even harped on that, talking about it works out. You've been through this before. All right, let's go back to that. Because I remember when you New Orleans, your first practice, you had to get a full wipe me down, all right, because you were not ready for the heat. <laughs> all right? All right? We're not going to go I all the ready. <laughs> you was not ready. No, all right. we're going to put it out there. No, 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 we're going to put it out there. All right. Well, come on, let's talk about rookie it. Year. Uh-huh. Yeah, rookie year, I had to hold out because I was picked 14th overall, the uh, first 13th DB. overall pick and the 15th overall pick. Both had their deal done, and I was just saying, okay, I want exactly what's in the middle. Like, And for whatever reason, Saints were fighting me on that, so I had to hold out for 10 days, showed up. Uh, mind you, I was working out down the street at at uh, uh, one of them at Tulane, like two long sleeve t shirts in the middle, of, like August in New Orleans, oh. trying to kill myself, make sure I was ready for camp. And yes, when I got to camp, finally first day was full pads. Uh, Greg Williams decides, okay, uh, rookie, we're gonna start practice with forty up downs. <laughs> yes. Just me. Okay, cool. The whole defense gets around me. I do 40 up-downs. And we go straight to to individual. Now I'm doing backpedal drills, all this stuff. It's like, okay, cool. I'm a little tired, but fine. Then we go straight to team run. Oh. And the second player team run, uh, uh, the running back bursts bust for like 70 yards. And my dumb behind goes and chases them all the way down just to tag off. And then uh, I proceeded to have a heat stroke on the sideline. You know, I had to take my pads off. They had to wipe me down with, <laughs> with the sponge. Just because I was out of shape, man. It was just the 40 up downs jumped on my back. Hey, man, the 40 up downs were so real. I, I did that later on in my career. I came back for year 11. I went to New Orleans. And, of course, DA, Dennis Allen, they continued the 40 up down thing to make you buy into the defense. Dude, I backpedaled and just fell. In the individual. <laughs> I, I didn't even make it that far. So just imagine. <laughs> it, it comes a long way. So now, all right, so we, we get through New Orleans, right? Your first pick, well, first-round pick. You, you've been there five years, and free agency hits, and they don't even offer you, all right? Then you go to Philly, all right? And now all the things that you've been able to accomplish there, like kind of take us through that whole transition because, you know, like you said, you've been through free agent. You, you wanted to be somewhere that didn't want you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was just one of those things that, like, teaches you to be um, yeah, like same same thing in New Orleans. Won a Super Bowl there. I got drafted there. Was heavily, you know, in the in the community and, and very much wanted to be back there. Um, and then didn't even get an offer, you know. So it was like, uh, okay, well, I guess <clears throat> I guess I'm somewhere else next year. Um, and coming to Philly was was great for for me because it was getting back to the East Coast. I'm from Jersey, so it was an hour away from home. Getting back around, you know, uh, familiar kind of territory, even the fan base and, and just that East Coast, um, you know, vibe of just being gritty. And you, you can know, be honest, Mal. You can be honest with the people. You can tell them you liked how angry the drivers were. Tell, tell, be honest. <laughs> he liked that. Oh, it was great that when I got as soon as I got landed in Philly, and then somebody cut us off and honking and stuff. I was like, thank God, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> But, you know, just being able to kind of reestablish, like, the player that I am and who I wanted to be uh, in a new in a new market and really had coaches who were able, like, who were going to use me, you know, to in positions that best fit, you know, what I do best uh, ended up being a great situation. 
Well, I thought it was funny, too, because a kid from New Jersey who played in Ohio, at Ohio State all of a sudden gets down to New Orleans in that heat, and, and you're just doing 40 up-downs and sprints. To, you know, that's your introduction to that Gulf Coast heat and humidity. That's wrong. Like, that's uh, – I would have called the Players Association if I were you, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> hey, let me, let me get you on something real quick because I, I want to get your thoughts on the Players Coalition and everything going on with that because you've been obviously one of the leading faces and voices in that, and Roman and I were talking about it before we sat down and started having this conversation – you know, the, the focus of all of this for so long was kneeling during the national anthem. And, you know, I was here and have been here for a couple of years doing talk and covering the Panthers and doing the pregame show. And, you know, I remember the, the incident between you and Eric Reed there before the game a couple of years ago. So much has been said and talked about with respect to the Players Coalition. But like a lot of other things, I'm not sure it's always been accurate or right or fair. And nobody knows how to, I think, portray what's going on inside that Players Coalition more so than you. I know there was an announcement last month about some educational contributions being made by the Coalition. Talk to me about the latest in, in the work that you're doing, but you know, also how this came to be and, and maybe some of the misperceptions of what the Players Coalition's about. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to just how it came to be and kind of the 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 myths, I guess, that are that surround the, the Players Coalition, it came to be because, you know, First, with, with Colin obviously taking me in and creating this global kind of dialogue or discourse about uh, activism and, and, and protest, um, you know, on national stages, uh, we wanted to figure out, like, uh, there's a ton of guys around the league that wanted to support, that wanted to get involved, that wanted to do some, some things in their own uh, communities. And what we what we ended up doing was, you know, creating a vehicle for players to be able to get linked up with ex- experts or, you know, join alongside other their, their peers um, and, and support different campaigns and support different organizations that do the work um, to, you know, raise funds uh, and also to advocate and go talk to legislators to, um, you know, write op-eds and do all of the things that um, make a difference when it comes to advocating. And, um, you know, obviously also able to negotiate for the league to offer funds to support that effort. Um, but I think that the biggest thing that some people um, don't necessarily know is that the Players Coalition is, is a completely independent um, organization from the NFL. So the NFL is donated to us, but 100% of all of our um, decisions are made up by players. You know, our entire board is all active and formed players. Um, so this is an organization that that is all that has a charitable wing, but also an advocacy wing. Um, so we're doing both, you know, granting, but also going and, and talking to politicians and, and lobbying and pushing for legislation. And so many over the last three years, we've gotten you know bills passed um, from Louisiana all the way up to Boston. Um, and it's you know it's one of those things that it's been interesting to watch more and more players get involved and really take over their own market. So, you know, I'm doing things in Philly and then when I need, you know, help, I've got a, a coalition of guys that can support, you know, the work I'm doing there. We got guys in Boston, Baltimore, um, DC, New Orleans, uh, all over, you know, guys just getting involved. And now we're getting more and more former players involved too. Work done and Takeo Spikes and guys like that are doing some great things down in Atlanta. Um, and so it's, it's continuing to grow. And the, the more we grow, the more uh, guys, I think, take over kind of the idea of or, or the, the direction of what we do in each market. And, and it's been interesting to watch. 
So I think that that's interesting because you have a really good perspective on what it's like to do work on behalf of a lot of people, right, and and to get a movement going in the right direction. And, again, working on behalf of a large group of people is not always an easy thing to do because there's rarely consensus. It's tough to get everybody on the same page, and, and that's an effort that, that kind of leads me into the, the CBA negotiations between the players and the league right now, trying to, to get what the players want, what the league wants, and try to move the league forward. And Roman and I were talking about this. News came out yesterday. You know, the, the revenue split, the revenue share is uh, likely to change with the new CBA, but also a 17-game regular season possibility and also expanded playoffs. Like, as a player, you know, and, and I know Roman wants to jump in on this and, and you both have better perspective than I do, but I'm curious, your perspective on these negotiations, the possibility of playing another uh, regular season game and, you know, adding more teams to the playoffs. What do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, any with any idea um... – it's never, you know, you can never just take it at face value. You know, if you say 17 games to any player, um, I don't think anybody's just going to say, yeah, I, you know, I want 17 games <laughs> without talking about how you're going to be compensated for that 17 games, how, you know, what what the effects of your body are uh, on, on another game, and, you know, does that affect your benefits? Does that put you – are there any changes to the off-season program um, to help, you know, take off some of that, that wear and tear? Uh, what does that mean for the preseason? What does that mean for the rosters? Like, there's so many different um, questions that that you should have as a as a player when it comes to 17 games, and the same thing for um, the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, those are all of the the things that that we have to decide as a as a body is if you know if the offer is for 17 games. Okay, what what are we willing to get or take to play 17? And if you know, and if we can't come to that decision or it doesn't equal up, then then we'll take it off the table. But um, you know, there's a lot of things you know, world and world. Obviously, with the TV contracts kind of looming over over uh, this negotiation, as well as you know, this new influx of gambling money. And it, you know, there's there's a lot of urgency for um, a deal to get done. But at the same time, you know, players have to really feel. Um, you know, comfortable and, 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 you know, and like they really, you know, are, are comfortable at this moment in time to come to, to an agreement. And I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll rush anything. Well, that's good because I, I, I lived through a CBA whole deal uh, back in what, 2010, 11. It was just a very interesting thing. And the things that you guys are fighting for now are completely different than the things that we were fighting for then. Um, just continue on this whole thing that you were talking about earlier. Number one, what was it like when you had Eric Reed barking over your shoulder, right? When you over here just looking at a coin toss, like I know you weren't paying attention, all right? And also, when it comes to trying to get 53 guys on one page, right, when it comes to negotiating for a CBA, how hard is that? Because a lot of the young guys were not paying attention. All the older guys are all worried about practice time and just trying to prolong my career. How do you find great middle ground in between, knowing that you got to represent the whole? Yeah, um, so the Eric thing was – Honestly, for me, it was just, like, embarrassing that I even gave it light because just because the next day, you know, really from there on out, it was just, you know, that was the image right. over and over. And it, it was nothing about what either of us have been fighting for for multiple years at that point. So, to me, it was like it was embarrassing that we both even participated in something that was a distraction from the, the movement and the cause we were trying to do. Yep. But um, when it comes to – um, the CBA and, and how to get, you know, the locker rooms um, 
one point. It's, I think, you know, going through, you know, when I came in right right before the, the last lockout, and I remember, like, those conversations about, you know, a possible work stoppage and guys saving their money. One started really, really late in the process, mm-hmm. but also nobody nobody really believed that there was going to be a work stoppage. And then when there was, you know, our, our locker rooms were not ready at all. Um, and so now you have my generation who, you know, came in and saw that, and we've been preaching, you know, for now almost a decade, like, get ready, you know, in case there's a work stoppage so we can be prepared, we'll be ready. And I think, honestly, our players are in a lot better position today than we were the last time we stepped into these negotiations. Now, Malcolm, um, are you guys really ready to miss games, though? Because, like, until you miss a game, like, is it really – time off and and when and with this whole talk of the new CBA where like players are going to get more percentage of the the total revenue like does that really change is it really money monetarily really bad like or is it really realized money right money gained in the fact of like the quarter that just means the quarterbacks are going to continue to get higher and higher salaries and everybody else in right. that mid-range guys like the six seven year guy that can really help a team and build a roster with a veteran veteran presence those guys are going to continue to get squeezed out, which is what happened with our CBA, and they're going to continue to bring in cheaper value guys that can just fill rosters and rookies and first and second year guys. Right now, I agree, and I think you know that was one of the things that that uh, now that it's, it's, you have this kind of new generation of leaders in the league, we we came in and saw that you know the effects of the rookie wage scale in the last CBA where. Um, players introduced that, you know, all right, let's put yeah. rookies on to, uh, um, you know, smaller salaries because they haven't earned it yet. That was and us. with the idea that that money will get pushed up into the rest of the locker room to those, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten-year vet to play special teams and X, Y, and Z. Uh, and what really happened was the antithesis of that. You have rookies now being stapled to the floor, and then all of that extra revenue was, was going to the highest-paid, you know, quarterback, the highest-paid receiver, those two, three guys in the locker room. Uh, and so that squeezed out some of that middle class. And I think uh, now there's a concerted effort. Like we can't it, – it's not as um, – it's not as impactful to tell us, oh, we'll, there'll be more money in the salary cap um, because we, we've already seen that like where that money most likely will go. So throwing more money on the table doesn't mean that it'll be realized throughout the locker room. So a lot of the focus will be on, you know, okay, well, what, what are the cash spend requirements for – each team and then for league wide, right? So our our teams spending, you know, that are they spending whatever new money are you actually pushing into the salary cap? Are we pushing some of that money into benefits, uh, knowing that benefits are not something like they have to spend 100%, you know, on benefits. So that's money and resources that are that are actually received um, when we push it into our benefits package. So and then how do we actually get this new revenue to trickle down? throughout the locker room. So there's been talks about raising the, the, the minimum uh, pay league-wide. There are different things around player performance. It, it was, there's a lot of ways to make sure that that money is actually realized. And I think those are all of the details that, um, you know, we, we got to comb through. Malcolm, I, I know you got a busy day, so I'm going to let you go on this. But there's one more thing I want to get to because Rome's been giving me a little bit of a hard time about this. Other people have as well. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a sports talk guy. I'm a broadcaster. So I love sports. I love football, baseball, basketball, uh, golf, NASCAR. I mean, I, I just – I like everything. So for that reason – You don't reason, like XFL. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just – I can't bring myself to watch the XFL. It's springtime. Like, and, and I watch the greatest players in the world for 16 weeks plus the playoffs in the fall and the winter. 
Like I, I'm just, I'm not really, I can't bring, I can't make myself watch it. Now my attitude has been, if people like it, cool. Like I'm a live and let live guy. Go watch it, be happy. I, I'm not judging anybody, but I'm curious about the player's perspective and, and in particular an active player's perspective on the XFL and what we've seen because we've seen so many spring football leagues try and fail for the last 30 years. Like as an active player, are you even paying attention to the NFL? What, what is, what's the active player attitude toward this XFL doing what it's doing and, and what you think it means for the game? Well, I think um, what it what it means for the NFL, I haven't really contemplated that to be honest. But um, I know I think they've done a better job, or at least I don't. I can't even say better. I don't think I can really comment on that because I don't really remember what it looked like, you know, back in the day. But I feel like they've done a great job of at least marketing, you know, the XFL, and a lot of the players have name recognition. You know, guys that were either in the league or like big time college guys that, you know for whatever reason, their, their NFL career didn't go, you know, like they wanted. But they're players that we know. And so, they're, you know, people who will tune in to just see what they look like. Um, but then you turn on, and, I, you know, I think some of these games have been really entertaining. Um, I know even the different style of which they – how they cover the game, you know, where they're all in the locker room. Right after a play, you get a guy doing an interview on the sideline. Uh, those are things that don't happen in our league but are entertaining and, you know, um, when you put it with those guys. So, I mean, for me, I'm, you know, I sit back and watch football. I'm a fan of games, so I enjoy watching it. Um, but as far as what that means for the future of our league or how that looks or if they'll be successful, I think that's, that's to be determined. I, I, I agree with you completely on the whole entertainment value. That's the only reason I watch it, just because <laughs> I like football and it's kind of entertaining. And I get that. Because it's a different view. Yeah. All right, now, Mal, let's go to it. The big question, all right, all these Philly fans out here. What was it like when you got to bring a championship to the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which I don't know a lot of love being shown. It had to Philly. be amazing. But, you know, you won a Super Bowl in New Orleans, so you knew what it felt like. Rookie year, you win it. I mean, it's got to be easy. Like, we're going to do this all the time now. You won all these games in Ohio State. Winning just comes so natural to you. Tra- tra- transition to where we're at now, where how long it took you to get there and what it felt like to show that same type of feeling, share that feeling with your other teammates in Philly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like you said, I, I kind of stumbled in, uh, you know, out of college right into a Super Bowl, and, like, we won 13 games, won 13 straight, right? <laughs> we just went 13, yeah, 13 straight games. First seed, two games in New Orleans, we blow out the Cardinals, you know, good overtime win against the, the, the Vikings, and then we're in the Super Bowl, we, we win it. And I'm like, all right, well, this would be easy. <laughs> and the next the next year we make the playoffs. The, the year after that we probably should have went back to the Super Bowl in 2011, made the playoffs again, and then down the gate happened and all of the craziness. But I'm like, for the first you know five years of my career, I made the playoffs four out of the five years. So to me, it was like you know if, if even if you didn't get back to the playoffs, it's like being close to it. I mean, or or, or the Super Bowl is like being close to it lets you think that you know this is this is just how it how it goes um and then you know then the years start adding up you're like man it's been nine years Jeez. <laughs> but um but i would say in 2017 that that season and what we went through was very similar to what we went through in new orleans and it was i was just so prepared to to lead that team because of like the example i saw through, through roman through john vilma through drew Brees, and all of these guys in that year um 
you know, I was excited for these young guys because I, I used to tell them, like, you don't even understand Mm-mm. what this parade is going to look like. Like, <laughs> like I've been through one in New Orleans. It was their first one, you know, a team that's been historically kind of bad and now is, like, on the upswing, get their first two balls. Like, I know what that looks like. And to do that here in Philadelphia, I'm like, y'all have no idea. And uh, as we kind of went through that jersey, well, you know, for, like, a couple years, we just talked about, like, that vision. And then, obviously – to be a huge reason and, and a leader on that team and be, a, you know, a part of actually making that dream come to fruition was, you know, uh, I could, that's, it was an indescribable feeling, you know, once that clock hits, hits zero and you realize all of that work that you put in, um, you know, has, has been, has paid off and, and what that means to the city. You just want to, you don't even want to change your clothes. You just want to hurry up and get back to the city and start, you know, start that party. <laughs> Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champ, three-time Pro Bowler, and, well, I think uh, the two of us uh, certainly hope a uh, continued member of the Philadelphia Eagles secondary. I think the people in Philly would agree with that wholeheartedly. Malcolm, we appreciate you, buddy. Thank you for your time, and uh, this is a hell of a way to kick off the podcast with talking to Malcolm this Jenkins. This has been awesome, man. Malcolm, I mean, the details, everything that you, the insights you've given us, it's been great. But since we are on a podcast, all right, we're going to make all of our guests do this, all right? And I've already told my favorite. Oh, yeah. Kyle's told his. We should have led with this. Yeah. But, Malcolm, before you go, should what's you your explain, favorite? Should what? you explain it to him? Because you, you and I do radio, so we don't get to say cuss words when we're on the radio. We're actually excited now to be able to drop the occasional cuss word on a podcast because we're allowed to do that now. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Malcolm, what's your favorite, bro? Like hey, your favorite go-to. cuss word. Like well, your well, tell him yours first. Make oh, him mine is uh, motherfuck or yeah. like motherfucker. Mine's son or, of a bitch, the classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. What the fuck? <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, that's how you end it, right? Oh, there. oh my gosh, it's so good, Kyle. Funny story I ever had. You gotta let Malcolm this man go. I gotta point. let him go, Mal. All right, so we're in the game. I've never seen this before either, and I've seen a lot of football. Malcolm's trying to communicate with a guy in front of us on defense. The guy's not <laughs> listening to him. And Malcolm wears this, uh, they call it a mouth, uh, the pacifier mouthpiece. Oh, yeah. The whole mouth. So it's really hard to talk, but Malcolm's usually good at it. He usually get, and the guy's not hearing him. Malcolm takes his mouthpiece out, throws it at the player, and hits him <laughs> with it to try and get his attention, like as the ball is about to snap. We have this on film. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen that's how, on a film. How loud, that's how loud the Superdome was. It was like, I'm trying to, you know, they motion something, and it changed the whole coverage, and, you know, as a safety like, you know, our, really the corners don't be knowing shit. I'm going to be honest. The corners never <laughs> they know don't. nothing. They don't. <laughs> and you got to tell them everything. And so, like, you know, we got a defense where literally if a tight end just sneezes, we got to change the whole coverage. So tight end moves and changes. And I see the corner is still, like, locked in, playing man-to-man. I'm like, I got to tell him, yo, we're playing two over here now. And he's like, I'm yelling, I'm yelling, I'm clapping. He's locked in. So I'm like, man. I'm not about to go over there. He's going to be by himself. So I threw, it, I threw my mouthpiece. And it didn't even hit him. It, like, landed, like, right by his foot. And he looked down. And he turned to me. It worked. You got to call him. You got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> Malcolm, I promise. That was it. We'll let you go, brother. You're welcome anytime, though. We'd love to have you. We appreciate you. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother Malcolm. 
And that's going to do it for us, too. Man, this first one was fun. Looking forward to episode two. We got the bonus episode for you here on the uh, the first swing at this thing. Looking forward to talking to Leo Mazzoni coming up in episode two. World Series champion, longtime Atlanta Braves pitching coach. He's got some thoughts on the Astros cheating scandal. We'll talk some baseball with Leo Mazzoni in episode two. So go check it out. And we're looking forward to doing it again. For Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Bailey. This was fun. And this has been the Clubhouse Podcast.